Good morning once again. Um, as um, was indicated, that Apostle is not here uh, in the country, though. And um, Apostle asked me to share the word with you. And we will do that. The title of today's word is um, Eternal Judgment. This is the first part of it. So we are looking at the last of the six foundational principles um, of Christ, and um, which is the eternal judgment. Okay. So last week we spoke, uh, Apostle spoke to us about the resurrection of the dead, and we see how Apostle then um, referenced these two as being one, okay, or going together, which means that they are, there's the resurrection of the dead, and there's also the judgment that follows the resurrection. Okay, so we see here that resurrection precedes judgment. Okay. So we're gonna today we will then continue and look at eternal judgment, this being the first part of um, the sixth um, foundational principle on eternal judgment. And we will read in Hebrews six, okay verse 1 to 3 and this is where we've been camping um, at for quite a long time or not a long time but a good time okay as we see that that is coming out of scripture um, and these passages revealed um, many things to us so let's read um, Hebrews 1 to 1 2 and 3 wherefore Leaving the doctrine of the first principles of Christ, let us press on, on unto perfection, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith towards God, of the teaching of baptism and of laying on of hands and of resurrection of the dead and of eternal judgment. This will we do if God permits so in this teaching there are two aspects that we will look at uh, in terms of the eternal judgment these are the two aspects that we will look at today the first aspect being the general general revelation of god as judge of all that's the first aspect that we will look at the revelation of god as judge of all then secondly, we will look at the main principles which administrates God's judgment. The main principles which administrates God's judgment. So before we continue with these two aspects, let us just lay some foundations. And we were going to look at we're going to look at the book of Hebrews in chapter 12 from verse 22 to 24. Hebrews 12, verse 22 to 24, and it reads as follows. It says, But you are come unto Mount Zion, and unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly of, of, the, of the church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven, and to God the judge of all, and to the spirits of just men made perfect, and to Jesus the mediator of a new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling 
that speaketh better things than that of Abel. So in this scripture we see several things revealed and we will look at three main aspects of the scripture, three main aspects that we, we, we see in the scripture as um, foundation or laying a foundation as to what we will be talking about today, the eternal judgment. So the first principle, the first aspect that, we, that is revealed to us in this passage of scripture is that this passage of scripture gives us the description of God's dwelling place. So this is the first aspect, first item that is revealed in Hebrews 12 from verse 20 to 22. The description of God's dwelling place. And it says, it describes it as Mount Zion. It describes it secondly as the city of the living God. Then thirdly, it describes the dwelling place as the heavenly Jerusalem. These are three um, descriptions of God's dwelling place. Mount Zion, city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. We see in Psalm 132 verse 13, it reads, For the Lord has chosen Zion, he has desired it for his dwelling place. And then in Revelation 3 verse 12, Him who overcomes, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will he leave it. I will, I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from my God. And I will also write on him my new name. So here we see that God chooses Zion and the passage of scripture that we've read earlier is speaking about the dwelling place, revealing the dwelling place of God. The second part that is revealed in the scripture is it lists, it lists the dwelling or those who dwell with God. It lists those that dwell with God. Okay. It firstly says to an innumerable company of angels. Okay. And these are angels who kept their first state. In other words, the angels that, that didn't rebel as the angels did, um, that you know, Lucifer rebelled. But these are the angels that kept their first estate. The Bible speaks about them as an innumerable company of angels. Then secondly, the, it's a general assembly of church of the firstborn. The general assembly of the church of the firstborn. And this is the New Testament saints, the saints of the New Testament. Then thirdly, it says, to the spirits of just men made perfect. And these are the saints that uh, of previous ages, uh, saints like Abram, uh, Moses, David. And these are spirits of just men, just men made perfect. And we remember from last week how when Jesus rose out of the grave, these saints rose with him and they walked through the city with him. Then the, the third part that is revealed in Hebrews 12, 20 to 22 is the presentation of God himself, okay? who God is. This passage uh, presents God, who God is. Right? And we see here that it 
Firstly, speaks about God, the judge of all. Secondly, Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant. Then thirdly, the blood of sprinkling. Okay. So in that third part of the presentation of who God is, we see thus that, that the scripture reveals firstly God as the judge. Then it leads us to Jesus, the mediator. And then it leads us to the blood. Um, this means the, the, the price of reconciliation, the blood being the means uh, by which we have been reconciled. Okay. And in the teaching, we will look at how these elements, how these uh, um, refer to each other. Now, Hebrews 12, 24, the last part contrasts uh, between the blood of Jesus and the blood of Abel because it, it speaks, it says, to, and let me just read that again, verse 24, and to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaketh better things than Abel. So in, when contrasting the blood of Jesus with the blood of Abel, firstly we see that the blood of Abel was shed without consent. We know how that happened. Cain and Abel both brought offerings. However, Cain slew his brother because of jealousy, because his offering was accepted. And so Abel's blood was shed without his consent. But in Jesus' case, we see that Jesus' blood was freely given. Remember, Jesus says that I lay my life down and no man take, take my life because I lay my, down, my life down willingly. So he, he came as a, as a free, his blood was given freely because of his relationship with the Father. The second contrast, second thing that we can contra contrast between Abel and Jesus, the blood is that Abel's blood was sprinkled on the earth. So the blood fell on the earth, and we'll look at the scripture that confirms that. But in case of Jesus' blood, the Bible says that his blood is sprinkled on the mercy seat in heaven. We know how the priest uh, Aaron was uh, instructed that he must um, you know, sprinkle blood on the mercy seat, the mercy seat speaking about the covering, the lid that covers the ark, the and lid there. So the blood of Jesus was sprinkled on the mercy seat, speaking about our reconciliation. Then the third thing that we see in terms of the blood of Abel and the blood of Jesus contrasted is that Abel's blood cries out for vengeance, whereas Jesus' blood pleads for mercy and forgiveness. So Jesus gave up himself, or he laid down his life, his blood was a free will, free will offer, offering, and that pleads for the mercy and forgiveness of all people, whereas the blood of Abel cries out for vengeance. This we see in Genesis 4 verse 10, it says that the Lord said, what have you done? He says this to Cain, what have you done? Listen. Your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. And then we read in 1 Peter 1 verse 2, according to the blood of Jesus, it says that elect 
elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through sanctification of the Spirit, unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, grace unto you, and peace be multiplied. So, we said that there are two aspects that we are looking at in this teaching, and the first being the revelation of God as judge. This is very important when we speak about eternal judgment. We look at, we need to speak about who, who's the, the eternal judge. And the Bible reveals God as, as the judge. So the revelation of God as judge of all is strengthened by the revelation of God's mercy and grace manifested in the mediatory role or the mediatory office and the shed blood of Christ. And this is in harmony with the total revelation of, 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 of what the scripture says about this theme of God as judge. Okay? And here this is very important that we see that God as judge, but the mercy and grace that is manifested in the shed blood of Jesus strengthens the fact that he is judge. Remember, God is the judge of all things. He is the creator of all things. And therefore, God sets standards and God um, administers. And we'll see in the teaching how he does that. Okay. Let's look at a few passages in Micah 6 verse 8. It says, He has shown you, O mortal, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you? to act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. Remember, God is, is as judge also expects us to walk just, justly and righteously because he's a righteous judge. judge. In Limitations 3, 22 to 23, it says, Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. For he has compassion, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. And then in Psalm 136 verse 10, it's the passage that we read um, in the beginning of, of this morning. It says, To him who struck down the firstborn of Egypt, his love endures forever. And here we see that though God executes judgment, he is still a merciful God and his love endures forever. So when looking at God as judge, we know that God the Son and God the three, three, um, triune God. And we, firstly we see here that God the Father as a just judge. So we look at God the Father as judge. So throughout the entire Bible it is plainly stated that by, by his sovereign and eternal right, the office of judge belongs to God. Right? This is a sovereign act. This is an eternal uh, right that God has as judge, that, he, that it belongs to him, the judge. In Genesis 18 verse 25 we read, That be far from thee to do after this manner, to slay the righteous with the wicked, and that the righteous should be as the wicked, that be far from thee. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? 
is referring to God as the judge of all the earth. Then in Psalm 58 verse 11, Then men will say, Surely the righteous still are rewarded. Surely there is a God who judges the earth. Again, God is the judge of the earth. Then in Psalm 94 verse 2, Psalm 94 verse 2, it says, Lift up thyself, thou, thou, ju thou judge of the earth, render a reward to the proud. And in, in Isaiah 33 verse 22, For the Lord is our judge, the Lord is our lawgiver, the Lord is our king, he will save us. Right. So, God being judge, he's also long-suffering, okay? So, even though God is judge, is a judge, he, he has this nature of being long-suffering. In other words, God is a patient God, okay? And let's look at a few things in terms of the, the fact that God is judge and God executing judgment, executing righteous judgment, in Isaiah 30, sorry, in Isaiah 28 verse 31, For the Lord shall rise up as, um, as in Mount Parazim. He shall be wroth as in the valley of Gibeon, that he may do his work, his strange work, and bring to pass his act, his strange act. Now let's look at this word strange. Okay, so if the the passage refers to God's strange work. Okay, and um, Hebrews, Hebrew, when Hebrew translate this word "strange," um, it translated as meaning alien. Okay, in other words, foreign. Okay, so the administration of wrath and judgment to God it is as basically foreign to His own nature. It's it's alien to His own nature. Right. In other words, it's God would prefer being a, 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 a righteous God, a loving God, enduring God, but yet God is executing judgment, but yet it says that these acts are strange because it's alien. So this concept is also born in the New Testament um, of God being, you know, that the, the acts of God is alien or it's foreign to him, even though he is a, a judge. We read in... 2 Peter 3 verse 9, The Lord is not slack concerning His promises, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to us worth, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. We see here that God places priority on the fact that He wants all men to come to repentance. Okay. Although man considers God's promises um, that, that, that they counted as slackness, but yet God is long-suffering. God is waiting for people to repent right, and not to perish. In, in John 3 verse 7, 17, John 3 verse 17, For God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Again, God places the salvation of the world over the fact that the world is to be condemned. Okay. 
So this we see that the reluctance of God to administer judgment finds expression also in the way which God judge, God's judgment will ultimately be carried out. Okay? And we will look at that, okay, the fact that there is a reluctance on God's part to execute judgment, but we will see how God then administers that judgment. First Peter 1 verse 17 reads as follows, And if he call on the Father who without respect of person, persons judged, according to every man's work, pass the time of your sojourning here in fear. Right. Again, emphasizing the fact that God is not a respecter of person, but he will execute judgment. Okay. So we said that God administers his judgment, and we secondly look at Jesus the Son as judge. Firstly, we looked at God as judge under the heading of the revelation of God as judge. And then secondly, we're looking at Jesus' Son as judge. So God the Father is judge, however He has delegated the judgment to the Son. In John 5, 22-23, For the Father judges no man, but hath committed all judgment unto the Son, that all men should honor the Son even as they honor the Father. He that honored not the Son honored not the Father which had sent him. Right. Very powerful scripture here that God gives, administers judgment, yet God commits all judgment unto the Son. And then in John 5 verse 26, For as the Father had life in himself, so had he given to the Son to have life in himself, and had given him authority to execute judgment, also because he is the Son of Man. Right? Also because he is the Son of Man. Right? So there are two reasons that the office of judge is transferred from the Father to the Son. And we look at the two reasons here. Firstly, because with the office of judge also goes the honor that is due to judge. In other words, men will be obliged to show the honor to, toward God, the Son, as they would God, the Father. Right? Men must show the honor to both God, the Father, and both God, the Son that all men should honor the Son even as they honor the Father. And this we've read in the scripture here, okay? That all men should honor the Son even as they honor the Father. He that honored not the Son, honored not the Father, which had sent Him. Then secondly, the second reason here why the office of judge is transferred from father to son is because Christ is also the son of man as well as the son of God. Okay. We know that Christ is both son of man and son of God, okay. which means he partakes of the human as well as the divine nature and therefore he, his judgments, right, he is able to make allowance for his own experiences for all the infirmities and temptations of human flesh. Right. So we know that Jesus came into the earth, he came in human form, 
and he experienced um, many things that humans experience. Therefore, the Bible says that he he can show compassion. We've uh, we've go, we've gone through that in prior teachings about Jesus' compassion, and the fact that he shows um, a right? So we also see, however, here that the son is also unwilling to administer judgment. Right? So we see that you know that God is long suffering. God is enduring and God desires all men to come to repentance but in the earlier passage we read that this is God's strange act which is foreign to him and here we see that even the son also shows this um, unwillingness to to administer judgment so let's look further into this point and let's make this point clear okay now when God judges, when the son is given judgment it is then actually the word as judge. So we look at the word as judge. The Son of God has transferred the final authority of judgment from himself to the word of God. Okay, This is very interesting. The Son has, firstly the Bible says that the Father has given all judgment unto the Son. And now the Son has transferred the judgment from himself to his word. And we will look at passages of scripture here that speaks about God's eternal word. Okay. In John 12, 46, sorry, 47 to 48. And if any man hear my words and believe not, I judge him not. For I came not to judge the world, but to save the world. He that reject me and receive not my words hath one that judge him. The word that I have spoken, the same shall judge him in the last day. So here this passage says that Jesus has transferred judgment from himself to his word. Because his word is eternal. So the final authority of all judgment is vested in the word of God. This is the impartial, unchanging standard of judgment to which all men must one day answer. God's word is forever settled in the heavens. Okay. God's word is eternal. And the Bible says that all things may pass away, but his word will never pass away. So God has set this unchanging, eternal standard of judgment by which all men will be saved. And therefore, um, we've looked earlier that Jesus, in as son of man, and both as son of, of God, as vested and as set, settled this that judgment, all men will be judged by the word in the last day. In Psalm 119 verse 106, Thy word is true from the beginning, and every one of thy righteous judgment endureth forever. Right. And if you have time, you know, read uh, Psalm 119. It's probably the, lo the longest passage or psalm in the, in, the, in the book. And read through that. It um, speaks about God's word and his enduring word. Okay? So God's principles and judgments of, of judgments, principles of judgments are continued in his word. And like the word endures forever. All right? So we see that the word of God, the judgment of God endures 
because the judgment is in the word which is which also endures and all men will be judged according to God's divine word, eternal word. Okay. So we've looked at the principle of God as judge and or the revelation of God being judged in the two points that we are highlighting in this teaching. And the second point is that principles of divine judgment. We're looking at some principles of divine judgment. Uh, <clears throat> so in Romans 2, from verse 1 to 12. We'll read Romans 2 from verse 1 to 12. You therefore have no excuse. You, you pass judgment on someone else, for at whatever point you judge another, you are condemning yourself, because you who pass judgment do the same things. Now we know that God's judgment against those who do such things are based on truth. So when a mere human being pass judgment on them and yet do the same thing, do you think you will escape God's judgment? Verse 4, Or do you show contempt for the riches of His, right, of his kindness, forbearance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance. But because of your stubbornness and your unrepented heart, you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath, when His righteous judgment will be revealed. Verse 6, God will repay each man according to what they have done. To those who by persistence in doing doing good seek glory and immorality he will give sorry immortality he will give eternal life let me read verse seven again to those who by persistence in doing good seek glory honor and immortality he will give eternal life verse eight but for those who are self-seeking and who reject the truth and follow evil there will be wrath and anger there will be trouble and distress for every human being who, who does evil first for the Jew then for the Gentile but but glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good first for the Jew then for the Gentile verse 11 for God does not show favoritism. All who sin apart from the law will also perish apart from the law, and all who sin under the law will be judged by the law. Right. Very powerful scripture in Romans 2 from verse 1 to 12. Now there are three principles of divine judgment in this scripture, and we're looking at principles of divine judgment and there are three principles here firstly the principle of judgment is according to truth okay it's according to truth and this has to do with those who judge others by one standard and themselves by another standard verse 
in verse 11, 17 of John 17 <coughs> says thy word is truth the revealed standard of God's word applies to the judged and to the judged alright so this passage says that um, others will want to judge themselves by a different standard you know but the word applies to both judge the one that is being judged and the one who judges right? <clears throat> and that is according to truth so that's the first principle of judgment divine judgment it is according to truth then secondly according to deeds okay so repeated many times in scripture here in in first peter 1 verse 17 according to every man's work and in revelation 20 verse 12 according to thy works records are kept of each man's life not just deeds but also thoughts and intents of the heart okay so deeds are not only works of the hands okay or acts of the body but it also speaks about according to what you've thought your thinking okay your contemplations okay you are judged according to your deeds and then thirdly each person is judged according to the measure of moral light and understanding available to him okay all right um, it says as many as have sinned without law shall also perish without law and as in as many as have sinned in the law shall be judged by the law okay and this is where read in um, in Hebrews sorry not in the Romans 2 okay each person is judged according to the measure of moral light and understanding available to him and the Bible clearly states that if for those that have died or without the law they will be judged without the law those that have have um, died by the law they will be judged by the law so rather sinned by the law so each man moral um, you know and and and, and the fact that men is born of the spirit of God okay or men um, is born in the image of God there is something of God in each person and therefore the, the the fact that there is some consciousness there of God I believe um, each person will will not have an excuse and the Bible says that in Romans that no man will have an excuse but they will um, they will stand before God one day okay so there are examples of of judgment and in Romans 1 verse 20 for the invisible things of men of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen being understood by the things that are made even his eternal power and Godhead so that they are they are without excuse okay this is in Romans 1 verse 20 no man is without excuse and then here in Matthew we'll read Matthew 11 from 20 to 24 let me read read it first it says then Jesus began to denounce the cities in which most of his miracles had been performed because they did not repent woe to you Karazin woe to you Bethsaida if the miracles that were performed in you had not had been performed in Tyre and in Sodom 
they would have repented long, long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more bearable for Tyre and Sidon on the day of judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be lifted up to, to the skies? No, you will go down to the depths. If the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Sodom, it would have remained to this day. But I tell you that it will be more bearable for Sodom on the day of judgment than for you. So here we see, and we take note of this because we, we live, we need to take note of this. Um, we live in a time when more moral knowledge is more um, more easily available than ever before okay. because of the availability of knowledge and understanding you know this is we, we hear this we hear the word we receive the word and we will be held accountable for the light which we have received and that which is available to us okay. that which comes to us through the revelation of God's word that has been shared to us um, we will be held accountable for that okay so not to neglect or to receive the light which is available does not receive us or does not relieve us from the responsibility and the accountability that it is that goes with it. In other words, we can't say that I haven't heard, I haven't listened. No one can shut their ears, close their eyes to see because all these things are made plain. We, we read that in, in Romans 1 verse 20. All things are made plain, okay? All things are made revealed and no man is without excuse, okay? So not to neglect or rather to neglect or, or not to receive the light which is available to us doesn't, doesn't excuse us you know, of, 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 of being accountable for God's judgment. So as the city uh, of, in Jesus' time, uh, they did not receive the light okay, and the understanding that was available to them, okay? And as, as a consequence, we'll receive the stricter judgment than Sodom and Gomorrah. And we will look at, at Sodom and Gomorrah, okay? And, we, and the Bible says that it, it will even be more unbearable for that cities because they haven't received the light. Right? And these cities will be then held accountable um, in Jesus' time. Even more so, okay, because they've, they've been in Jesus' time, the, the express image of God in their midst. How could they not have seen or received Him, okay? Whereas cities like Sodom and Gomorrah went unjudgment, but these even more because of the, the fact that they had the Son of God with them, the Son of Man in their midst, okay? So God judges, there's, there's also God's judgment in history, and look at how God administers His judgment in the human race. Okay, and there are two stages here how God executes or administers judgment in the human race. Firstly, God's judgment in time. Okay, God's judgments in time. This is, that is the part of God's judgment that is carried out on the scene of human history during human history and times. We look at some of the passages that reveal that. But in time past, okay, in human history, God 
execute and carries out his judgment on the scene of human history. So this is God's judgment in time. Then secondly, God's judgment in eternity. Okay, so it's the after, and this part of God's judgment is carried out after time and and history uh, have ceased. So we we said last week, apostles said last week that that eternity there's no time stamp. You can't measure eternity to time. When a person passes from here, when he dies, he, he enters into eternity. Okay, so time is no longer for him, and therefore he will not be tied or judged um, in time, but he will be judged in eternity. Um, there will be the eternal judgment in that time. So scriptures of historical judgment as firstly in Exodus 20, verse 4 to 6, it reads as follows. And let me just lubricate my, my throat. Okay. Exodus 20, verse 4 to 6. Thou shalt not make unto thee any craven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the waters under the earth. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them nor serve them for I the Lord thy God am, as a, am a jealous God visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me, and showing mercy unto the thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. Then Jeremiah 32 verse 18, Thou showed loving kindness unto thousands and recompensed recompensed the iniquity of the fathers unto the bosom of their children after them, the great, the mighty God, the Lord of hosts, is his name. Okay. That is some... Then we continue, and I would encourage you to read through the whole passage of Ezekiel 18, okay. speaking about God's eternal judgment. The first... In, Ezekiel 18 from verse 1 to 4. And this passage speaks about three generations. Father, a son of the father, and the grandson. Okay? And how uh, they were each judged according to what they've done in their lifetime. Verse 1 of Ezekiel 18 reads, The word of the Lord came unto me again, saying, what mean he that you say that you use this proverb concerning the land of Israel, saying, The fathers have eaten sour grapes, and the children's teeth are set on edge? Verse 3 As I live, said the Lord God, you shall not have occasion any more to use this proverb in Israel. Behold, all souls are mine. As the souls of the Father, so also the soul of the Son is mine. The soul that sinneth, it shall die. Speaking about the individual, the person. Okay, So through the prophet here, God rebukes Israel okay, for their sinful and backslidden condition. Okay? And here we see that the people try to blame their previous generation uh, for their present condition. 
and therefore trying to excuse themselves for for the for their own condition, blaming it on the what what has happened in previous generation. So God will not allow this. Okay, God doesn't allow this. Okay, so when one stand up before Him, he can't blame his parents. Okay, you can't say that because my my mother was immoral, my father was immoral. Okay, I followed in that. Uh, uh, line and therefore I, I need to be excused. No, that cannot be. Although it may have been true that, you know, that the, the nat national decline was due to um, incestus and, and we probably see this in our country or in our, in our generation. Some of the things are very, very uh, visible of, of um, national declines because of past um, a maladministration or the way people were brought up okay and so although this is true God still holds each person accountable for his moral condition okay because God is a righteous judge okay each one will be judged and in eternity this will solely be for his own character and conduct okay the day that you stand before God you can't call your mother somewhere out of the corner there and say mother father please come and say uh, you know come and make um, um, come intercede for me there okay because each person will be held accountable so each one of us has a will and the ability to choose um, whether to do the right or the wrong okay? and God has provided this word to be uh, that standard by which we can exercise our will to make the correct uh, choices. Okay? When we look into the Word of God, we look and we see them in the mirror of God's Word, we see how we ought to be, and therefore each man has the choice. Okay? God doesn't force His Word upon us. God makes it plain and clear to us. However, every man has the choice of either obeying or not obeying. Scripture says, choose ye this day who you will serve, whether God or men. Okay. So God leaves us without excuse. When judgment day comes, our deeds will speak for us. Okay. What we've done in the in our own lifetime will speak for us. Okay. In Ezekiel 18, verse 20, it says that the soul that sinned. It shall die. The son shall not bear the iniquity of the father, neither shall the father bear the iniquity of the son. The righteousness of the righteous shall be upon him, and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon him. So this is not here, in this case, this is not a judgment um, of a nation or a family. This in fact here is a judgment for each individual person each soul okay judgment by which the destiny of each person is settled for eternity okay then we continue in ezekiel 18 verse 24 it says but when the righteous turneth away from his righteousness and commit iniquity and do according to all the abomination that the wicked man doeth shall he live that's a question all his righteousness that he had done shall not be mentioned in his trespass 
that he had trespassed and in his sin that he had sinned, in them shall he die. Okay. So here we see that no man, people would be fond to say one day that, but God, I've done this and I've done that in your name. Okay. But yet clearly say that all these works will be forgotten. It says, in them shall he die. In the works and the choice that is made. Okay. And this indicates that God is speaking of the condition in which each individual soul passes out, out of time into eternity. Okay. So when we pass from here into eternity, the condition of the soul at that moment determines the destiny of that soul for eternity. Okay. The soul that dies in sin can never thereafter be admitted into the presence of God. Okay. And therefore each man must work out his salvation in this time with fear and trembling as the Bible says. So we see that also Jesus made this very clear when he when he was speaking to the Pharisees okay, in, in John 8 verse 21. Uh, he speaks to the Pharisees. It says, Then Jesus again, Jesus said, Then said Jesus again unto them, I go my way, and you shall seek me, and shall die in your sins. Whither I go, you cannot come. Right. Speaking of the destiny that they will follow, the des their destiny, because of the fact that they die in their sins. Then in Ecclesiastes 11 verse 3, If the clouds be, be full of rain, they empty themselves upon the earth. And if the tree fall towards the south or towards the north, in the place where the, the tree falleth, there it will lie. Right? And here the tree falling correspond or simulates the dying of man, the man dying. Okay? So in the position in which the tree falls, remember Bible's uh, symbolo symbolically trees refers to man. Okay? So where the tree falls determines the position in which it will, will be thereafter, or will lie. Okay? So when one lies in the grave in the condition that you fell, that is how one will then be judged. Okay? So previously, the, the scripture that we looked at previously all deal with eternal uh, judgment of God upon each in, uh, individual soul. The destiny of each soul is then settled by the condition in which he dies. Okay. So in here, there's two things that we con can conclude from this is that in history, the behavior on one generation has an important effect for good or evil upon the course of ex succeeding generations. And we see this in many, many passages we even see it in our own lifetime, okay, how uh, generations are affected, even our own generations are affected by either the good or the evil that has been done by our previous generations. Therefore, it's important as believers, as children of God, to declare over us and cut from us the iniquity uh, that has been performed in pre prior generations and work towards 
preserving God and in, uh, uh, preserving for ourselves an eternal heritage, eternal heritage in the presence of God along with our in this current generation. So, in history, the behavior on one generation has an important effect for either good or evil and upon the course of the generation that succeeds it. Then, second conclusion here is that in eternity, each soul will answer to God solely for his own character. His own character and conduct. Okay. So let's look at examples of God's judgment in history. And one that we early referenced and referred to is the example of Sodom and Gomorrah. Peter in 2 Peter 2 verse 6 says, and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them with an, with, an, with an overthrow, making them an example unto those that after should live ungodly. Sodom and Gomorrah serves to us as an example that what will happen to those that, that who um, lives ungodly. Okay. So this clearly displays God's attitude toward the sin of of which these cities are guilty of, okay, or were guilty of. His judgment was given to provide us an example. Okay, this is a pattern of pattern uh, of the conditions which will bring judgment. Okay, so you read through, and we, you make a study of of Sodom and Gomorrah. Okay, you look into that, you see that what happened to them serves to us as this as an example. What were the basic moral and, and social conditions which produced the decline of, of Sodom? Okay? This is the question. What was these uh, conditions? Okay? So in Ezekiel 16 verse 49, it reads, Behold, this was the iniquity of thy sister Sodom. Firstly, pride, fullness of bread, and abundance of idol, idleness was in her and in her daughters. Neither did she strengthen the hand of the poor and needy. So here we see a sinful condition of pride, of, of fullness of bread. In other words, they, they were so full of themselves and uh, they had an abundance. So four, four basic causes was firstly pride, like I said, fullness of bread. Thirdly, abundance of idleness okay. and then fourthly lack of concern for the poor and the needy okay. so out of these four basic causes uh, grew a particular form of sexual perversiveness or perversion which has ever seen been called by by the name of sodomy okay. and we know how this ugly uh, sin uh, is termed okay sexual perversion we read in in um, romans 1 also how bible says that men and and women have exchanged the the natural uh, um, nature for for unnatural okay desiring immorality performing um, acts of sexual uh, perversiveness perversion so in our current cities the same moral and social causes are producing uh, same forms of sexual perversion. Okay, and we and we see this. Um, we sometimes laugh about some of the things that we see, 
but these this is the condition that we see that's why uh, they term um, when a term Cape Town as the pink city okay um, and we see how many of these um, movements rise up uh, people claiming the right to be to be married to a man claiming the right to be married to another man woman claiming the right to be to have a sexual relationship with another woman these are the things that the very Sodom of Gomorrah was judged for okay as an example to us then the second example and this is uh, in church more home to church is uh, Ananias and Sapphira um, of an example of God's judgment in history we read in Acts 5 from verse 1 to 10 it says but a certain man named Ananias with Sapphira his wife sold a possession and kept back part of the price his wife also being private to it and brought a certain part and laid it at the, the apostles feet but Peter said Ananias why had Satan filled thy heart to lie to the Holy Ghost and to keep back apart from the price of the land while it remained was it not thine own and after it was sold was it not in thine own power why hast thou con conceived this thing in thy heart thou hast not lied unto men but unto God and Ananias hearing these words fell down and gave up the ghost and great fear came on all them that heard these things and the young man arose found them up wound them up and carried him out and buried him and it was about the space of three hours after when his wife not knowing what was done came in and Peter answered unto her tell me whether you should be you should sorry tell me whether you sold the land for for so much and she said yea for so much then Peter said unto her how is it that you have agreed together to tempt the spirit of the Lord behold the feet of the men of them which have buried thy husband are at the door and shall carry thee out then fell she down straight away at his feet and healed it up the ghost and the young man came in and found her dead and carrying her forth buried her by a husband okay. so these are these were what we would call um, hypocrites or religious hypocrites okay they sold a possession and brought part of the price to the apostle the possession that they sold were their, was their own possession okay but they pretended that the money that they brought was the full price of what was sold and Paul clearly made this that you know you could have tell us that this is the money that you this is the price that you sold for it this is what you're bringing to us and they did this to to gain praise and favor of, of, of Paul of the Apostles rather and the, the fellow Christians however by supernatural revelation of the Holy Spirit Peter discerned the hypocrisy okay and then charged first that Ananias and later his wife uh, Sapphira 
um, were lying and seeking to deceive the were, they were lying to deceive, uh, deceive the Holy Spirit, and each one therefore they they fell at the feet of of the apostles. Okay, so these are examples of what happens in in the historic judgment. Okay, so as I conclude, we've looked at. Uh, two aspects mainly when we we're talking about eternal judgment okay and this is firstly we looked at the revelation the general revelation of God as judge of all and then secondly we looked at principles main principles uh, which administrate God's judgment God himself being the judge handed over judgment to his son the son in turn hands over judgment to God's eternal word so that every man be judged by the standard of God's word. Right? So as we allow God's word to be written and engraved on, on, on our hearts and follow his statutes, listen to those that God, uh, that God sends to us, submit ourselves to the authority of, uh, that God places over our lives, right? then we can surely escape many of these judgments that the Bible speaks about. Okay? Being careful. Okay? Um, remember Re Revelation speaking about being careful to observe all these things. Okay? And this is our prayer that we will listen and give heed to the word of God and remember, judgment is an evaluation that takes place one day, right? So when we have the Spirit of God in us, when we have Christ in us, the Bible says that uh, there is no fear in perfect love, okay? Because the perfect love drives out all fear. And for us as the people of God, we, we do not fear uh, eternal condemnation. However, we are also called to be as God, as He is, so are we in this earth. And as God executes judgment and God releases His word as a standard, we need to uphold that standard both in our own lives and in the lives of those that God gives us and, and a family and remind them of these things. That God is eternal God, God is a loving God. But God will not sweep under the under the carpet our your your iniquity. So next week, then we will continue with the second part on on eternal judgment, and here we will look at various seeds of judgment again. And the New Testament reveals three main uh, successive scenes okay, upon which eternal judgment will be carried out. Each of these is marked by the type of seed that the judge sits upon to execute judgment, the judgment seat of Christ, throne of Christ's glory, uh, the great white throne, right? and different groups of people are judged um, at each seat of judgment. This is for next week. So I trust that this word was um, coming to you and you received it well as coming um, through my mouth but through the heart of, of the Father 
Apostle Valentine upon our lives and um, I trust that you are blessed as I am blessed um, through this word. Amen. God bless the ministry of his word.